Hey, 80s Nation. Who's ready to come with us on the 2021 voyage of the 80s cruise? Oh, jeez. It's time for me to read the lineup again, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sorry. You're just better at this. You set it up this way every time, but flattery, my friend, will get you everywhere. Here we go. The Human League, 38 Special, Belinda Carlisle, Berlin, Morris Day in the Time, ABC, John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, Modern English, Jack Russell's Great White, Dire Straits Legacy, A Flock of Seagulls, The Alarm, Sugar Hill Gang, and Johnny Hates Jazz will all be on board. The MTV original VJs Nita Blackwood, Mark Goodman, and Alan Hunter return along with us, your friends from Stuck in the 80s, who will host trivia, conduct live podcasts, and mooch drinks off of you the whole week long. Fact check true. If you've never been on an 80s cruise before, we have a special promo code for you. It works for first-time cruisers only. I'll get $200 cabin credit if you use the promo code STUCK when booking. You must use the promo code at the time you book, and you must be a first-time guest on the cruise. Find out more at www.the80scruise.com. Now on with the show. Travel back in time to the 80s. Reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? What about DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Stuck in the 80s, it's your old pal Spearsy. And Brad in LA. And today we honor Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back on its 40th anniversary with our top 10 list of sci fi movies of the 80s. I don't know. I have a bad feeling about this. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Podcast Network. You can find our podcast on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, and the CLNS Media mobile app. The Force is with you, young Skywalker. But you are not a Jedi yet. Hey, 80s Nation. Today, as Brad and I sit here recording this episode, it is the actual 40th anniversary of our beloved Empire Strikes Back. The movie was released on May 21st, 1980. And the 13-year-old versions of Spiracy and Brad, no doubt, were so excited on that day that we probably wet our glow-in-the-dark galactic bedsheets the night before. Oh, yeah, probably not far off. <laughs> I had those. We talked about it on a podcast. And the thing is, it's not like you had the kind of, well, duh, you didn't have the internet, but there wasn't the kind of hype machine for movies that there is now. But sure. still, this one definitely, we all knew it was coming, and we were all pretty excited about it. Here's what really bothers me about this. And I posted this on Facebook today, and so maybe I've already kind of spilled the beans. But in 1980, when this movie was debuting, it was the 40th anniversary of the Charlie Chaplin movie, The Great Dictator, to put things in perspective. Oh, yeah. I, I will say this 40th anniversary crap makes me feel a little old. It, feels, it makes me feel a lot old. 
Um, <laughs> you look great, though, Steve. You look great. When 900 years old, you reach, look as good you or not. Hmm? This week, to celebrate the 40th anniversary, which we don't always pay too close of attention to, but for some reason, this one just, like I said, it has a little added oomph to it. We decided against doing a whole show about Empire Strikes Back because, to be honest, I mean, I, everyone has talked this movie to death, right? Yeah, I mean, what can any... we tell you that you, if you care, you know, and if you don't care, you really don't care? Exactly. So instead, we want to offer you our very unscientific and yet still official Stuck in the 80s list of the top <laughs> 10 sci-fi movies of the 80s. Now, there are a few caveats, a few quid pro quos here. Yeah, so Brad and I talked about it ahead of time and we said, just to say sci-fi movies, I, I don't think it's specific enough. And so we decided, here are some rules that we're going to impose upon our list. Yes. First of all, we're going to exclude movies that we consider to be either more fantasy-oriented, like Willow. Oh, I'm sorry. Peck. Peck. Peck, 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 peck. You be careful. And we're right. also going to avoid movies that were intentionally comic or campy. So no ice pirates or weird science. If you're here looking for Flash Gordon, you're just going to have to go listen to the Queen soundtrack and be happy with that. Let the combat begin! To the death! We also generally avoided movies in the dystopian category. So you might argue that some of the Mad Max films are sci-fi, but we decided that they weren't. Uh, also, Brazil, Escape from New York, that kind of thing. That's more you know, primarily a dystopian story. I told you I wasn't a fool. Call me Snake. Other factors that we were looking for, though, are, are these. Is it set in the future? Is it set in outer space? Does it involve aliens visiting Earth? Does it involve technology <laughs> either not currently available or not currently imaginable? And then, of course, we are judging this based on its style, which will be judged solely by me and my vast knowledge of skiing technique. Uh, no, sorry, that's the different movie. There's the 80s factor. You know, there's does it feel like an 80s movie? And that's a little intangible. And that's the way we like it. Right. That's why you came to us for this. We... We decide the intangibility of these movies. So we are here to intangibilize the tangible movies. Exactly. Like I said, not scientific, but it is our list. And, and Brad and I don't always agree on rankings when we do them, but I think this is about as close as it's going to get. You agree? Yeah. I'm pretty happy with this list. And just to reinforce this, we're not, we're not doing book reports on every movie today. We're, we're, we're basically just disclosing the list, and then we'll talk a little bit about some of the movies that maybe you don't remember so well. And then, of course, we'll, we'll give an extra hat tip to Empire, wherever it may fall on the list. Um, yes. So just kind of sit back, save your hate mail <laughs> until we're done, and then by all means, spam the hell out of us. The Seggies are going to bring it all back. Let me just tell you right now. We got a letter coming up that's so hot it's burning my hands. Burnt my fingers, man. Man, that watch is so hot. It's smoking. Yes. I can't wait for Seggies. So let's get started with the Stuck in the 80s top 10 list of sci-fi movies in the 80s. Here we go. Number 10.
E.T. the extraterrestrial. Okay. <laughs> so this only checks... You would think this might be higher on the list. It is a beloved no. 80s movie. <laughs> Not higher. It, is a, it, barely, it barely made the list as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It, it has a very high 80s factor. That's true. It does involve an alien visiting Earth. But that's about where it checks out. I only finally saw it all the way through, I think, within the last year. Really? Again, 1982, I was 15 15 years old. Yeah. And do I want to go see a movie about a bunch of kids and an alien that looks like a puppet? I I really don't. Yeah, I guess our, you know, the the bar was a little in a different place because we had one movie theater, it had one screen, and if they were showing a movie and you wanted to go to the movies, that's what you saw. Exactly. I, I mean, I, I will admit, when I did finally see it, after all those years of making jokes about, oh, I know what happens, he dies at the end, I was shocked to learn that he almost does die at the end, <laughs> and I cried my eyes out. At the very oh, end. Oh, poor Spearsy. I've told the story uh, probably 10 times about watching it with my son and him turning to me 30 minutes in and saying, is anything going to happen in this movie? <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just it's, the pacing. The pacing is a, of a different era. It is. It is. So there we go. Number 10, E.T. sneaks in. Number nine. I'm a friend of Sarah Connor. I was told that she's here. Could I see her, please? No. Can't see her. She's making a statement. Where is she? Look, it may take a while. I want to wait. There's a bench over there. I'll be back. Your clothes. Give them to me. Yep. It's the Terminator, 1984. Maybe you would say this is a dystopian movie, but the dystopia is in the future. And right. there's technology that is not currently available, wasn't available then either. It's got a badass killer robot. I mean, come on. Plus, I mean, it spawned how many sequels now? You can't just throw 14, the Terminator 000. out. Yeah. Yeah, plus like theme park rides and, you know, in addition to the usual, you know, lunch boxes and, you know, guitar picks. Did you see this one in the theater? I can't, I can't remember if I did or not. I did not. I know I saw it in the '80s, but I may have it, that might have been a VHS rental. I don't I don't see yeah, the parental I, units allowing that to happen. Yeah, I didn't see that until it was either on Cinemax right. or HBO or or at the at the movie rental place. Yeah, and and would would it be higher on our list if we were doing a more of a dystopian ranking? Yes, but uh, no, sci-fi <laughs> not going to be there. Number eight. Welcome to the Cafe '80s, where it's always morning in America. Even in the afternoon to noon. <laughs> Our special today is mesquite grilled yes, sushi. You must have the Caucasian special. Yes, you go you must have the Caucasian special. Yes, you must have the Caucasian special. Hey, 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 hey. All I want is a Pepsi. That's Back to the Future 2. I'm going to stake out a somewhat unpopular position that I really like this movie and it might be my favorite Back to the Future movie. Uh, but it checks a lot of boxes. It visits the future, flying cars, you know, self-drying clothes, hoverboards. It's all there. It didn't really occur to me until today that, I mean, I guess Back to the Future is science fiction in some level, but the first one, okay, the first one is what it is. The second one is more of a dystopian sci-fi one, and the third one's a Western. Yeah. 
basically he just meanders it through the genres that he wants to do, which is actually kind of fun if you think about it. His movies, he could do with it what he wants. I, I like Back to the Future too. I don't have a problem with that. I think it's it's amusing to me now that the Visit to the Future is 2015, but yeah, you know. But and 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 little and, did we know. There, there's some debate as to whether or not hoverboards really exist or the self tying shoes, self lacing shoes, whatever those were, and the jacket that adjusts itself automatically, like those. We we could certainly imagine those then, right? Know, and, and but uh, I see hoverboards as being a safety issue. I know Nike sold the a shoe that looked like that, but it was not. Yes. You know, it was not a fully featured, fully functional power laces version. I, I just see bad things happening if there actually are power laced shoes, like malfunctions. <laughs> your foot yeah. snaps off. You know, oh, I lost my foot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, you know, they look cool though. They look great on you. <laughs> <laughs> We've had some fun with some of the movies that, uh, let's face it, we were we were having a hard time finding a place for in the top ten. I think from here on out, it, we get pretty serious. It's not funny, Steve. <laughs> the march through the top ten movies continues. Number seven. No, you won't stay there. Do you hear me? You drop your weights. You can breathe shallow. Do you hear me? But please, listen to me, please. God damn it, you drive me back with a bottomless pit. You can't leave me here alone now. Oh, God, Virgil, please. The Abyss. And I think people forget that, A, it was an 80s movie. Yes, it was, 1989. Yes, gets in just under the wire. And then I, I, I think it's just one of those forgotten movies for some reason. And I don't know why. It's a great movie. It really is. Um, is, is it traditional science fiction? No, because it uh, happens underwater. So there's your little twist. Um, Ooh, it's the second spoilers. movie. Second movie directed by James Cameron to make our list, uh, Terminator being the other one. Set in the near future, 1994, you know, based on 1989. So it is set in the future. Oh, tick the box. Uh, Yeah. Navy submarine basically has an encounter with an unidentified submerged object. Mayhem happens. There's an extended version of the original movie. Have have you seen both versions of the movie, Brad? I haven't seen the extended version, no. I really think it's just... Better off to see the original one and not see the extended okay. version. The, ex- the extended version ramps up this side story about tension between the U.S. and the Soviet Union and the aliens. You know, spoiler alert, there's aliens down there. Oh, yes, aliens. Sweet, sweet aliens. <laughs> the, most, the greatest of all aliens. They create a mega tsunami to wipe out the coastlines, but they freeze it when they see the uh, message from Bud to Lindsay. So, yes. and that gives them faith that maybe humanity will figure this all out again. So, well, you know, well, let's hope we don't fail that promise. I the thing that gets me about this movie every every time I see it is the scene where um, Ed Harris has to breathe the water. He has to allow the liquid. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. To come into it's us, like and every so, time I yeah. see that, it gives me the willies. Just like, Ugh. but uh, well. This is one of my favorite movies from that period because I used to work with a guy who was on the the crew of this movie, and James Cameron threw him off the film. This guy was a jerk, and I'm so happy to have this story about him. <laughs> what did he do? He was just I don't being even a jerk know. He wouldn't, he wouldn't. He wouldn't talk about it. He's just like, oh yeah, James Cameron threw me off this movie. I'm like, oh, that's good. I like James Cameron. Good. Yeah. The Abyss did go on to win the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects, and it was actually nominated for three more Academy Awards. So there's, if you're looking for a pedigree, there, uh, you go. there it is. Yeah. 
And the list marches on. Number six. Have people from your world been here before? Before, yes. We are interested in your species. You mean some kind of an anthropologist? Is that what you're doing here? Just checking us out? You are a strange species. Not like any other. And you would be surprised how many there are. Intelligent but savage. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are at your very best when things are worst. Let him go, Mr. Sherman, please. I bet a lot of people are kind of scratching their heads right now. This is the movie Starman. Mm. Came out in 1984. It's a John Carpenter movie that tells the story of an alien who has come to Earth, cloned a human body... Uh, portrayed by Jeff Bridges, uh, in response to an invitation that uh, the world sends out um, on the Voyager 2 space probe. Nice. You got that. So you, now, now you've got um, – you also have technology we couldn't have imagined or conceived of. It has a, an alien. The alien visits Earth. <laughs> so it checks almost every box. Jeff Bridges would be nominated for an Academy Award for Best Actor for this role. And it did actually inspire a TV series for a short period of time. There's no truth to the rumor that Steve cut me off at one Jeff Bridges movie, but you know, <laughs> we may not get any that's, more Jeff Bridges in this list. I didn't think about that. Interesting. That's that's a, that, that's a real shame. Anyway, Starman is it's definitely <laughs> worth checking out. I think Karen Allen is in it. It has a couple of uh, Spearsy can't stop crying moments in it. Oh yeah, uh, it's so good. All- I haven't seen it in a long time, but this is a yeah. This is a, a good movie. I was going through my DVD rack the other day. The fiance was in here and she was alphabetizing it by director. She was mixing in the '80s movies with the non-'80s movies. What? <laughs> she mixed in the, the '80s with the non-'80s stuff, but but it's interesting because some of these movies I haven't seen in a long time, especially if they're not an '80s movie. Yeah. I was going through, and she's like, well, point out the ones that make you cry. <laughs> and it was just like... You just waved your hand at the wall. <laughs> yeah. I was like, well, three on, three on this shelf, three on that shelf, two on that shelf. You know, stuff like that. Yeah, weekend at Bernie's? What the hell makes you cry about that? I'm like, no, no, I, did this. I don't cry at Weekend at Bernie's. Hey, gang, how's the quarantine diet working for you? Last night, I had a whole box of White Castle cheeseburgers, so I could tell you I need a little help. That's why we're telling you about a new sponsor, Awaken 180 Weight Loss. As your doctor has probably told you, a healthy diet can boost your immune system. And in the crazy time that we're living through, there's a lot of advice out there on how to stay healthy. For example, do not drink the bleach. Huh. <laughs> really should be common sense by now. Mm. Instead, consider a service like Awaken 180 Weight Loss. With Awaken, you get weekly one-on-one virtual coaching, the tools, and the foods all from the comfort of your home. So make the most of your quarantine time and visit the website for weight loss. Awaken180weightloss.com And we're back. And we have five more movies to uh, go through on our top ten list. I I think we've been pretty good, Brad, so far. You know, Starman's kind of an obscure pick. You know, The Abyss, probably some people are going to give us credit for. There's going to be a couple... Crybaby's about putting E.T. at number 10, but... Yeah, but the rest of this list is all killer, no filler. I think people might have trouble with this one. Here we go. Number five. There's no fleet, no starfighters, no plan. 
One ship, you, me, and that's it? Exactly. Zoe thinks you're still on Earth. Classic military strategy. Surprise attack. It'll be a slaughter. That's the spirit. No, my slaughter. One ship against the whole armada? Yes, one gun star against the armada. I've always wanted to fight a desperate battle against incredible odds. The Last Starfighter. Now, let me start by saying that pretty much any movie that we're talking about on today's list really deserves its own episode of Stuck in the 80s. Hmm, funny you would mention that. One movie actually has its own episode on Stuck in the 80s, and it's The Last Starfighter. You got to go so, way back. Talk about science fiction. Did you know, kids, yeah. that podcasts were being recorded in 2009? Yeah. Episode 172 of the podcast, if you really want to uh, go back. I don't remember if it was any good or not. <laughs> it was within the first five years of the show, so it could be hit or miss. Uh, if you haven't seen The Last Starfighter, well, shame on you. It is dripping with 80s glory. So that's why it's so high on the list. Involves teenagers. That should actually help you a little bit. The film tells the story of Alex Rogan, played by Lance Guest, a teenager recruited by an alien defense force to fight an interstellar war. Lovely. Uh, also featured Robert Preston, I think, in his final role. Oh, yeah. Gosh, so good. Yeah, yeah. Love Robert Preston. He's just, he, he's like one character all the time. He's just like yeah. this, you know, shystery sales guy. He's so yeah. good at it. Yeah, it's, that's what he is. And it's what he is in this movie. Uh, yeah. Catherine Mary Stewart's in it. Dan O'Hurley, he's in it. Uh, it's it's probably more of an '80s movie than any one of these other picks. I think. Um, yeah, there's there's the graphics look of it too. Like, I mean, it is CGI. There is a lot of CGI, kind of heavy CGI in it, and yeah. it has a look, you know, and that's yep. of its time. It, it has it's fun. It has a sense of humor. It has a romantic uh, side plot, not side plots, but the main plots. It literally it's got robots, checks, <laughs> robots. It literally checks every box that we consider for a sci-fi movie, except for it's not being set in the future. So, mm. well, neither was Starman, for that matter. Oh, fair point. Definitely worth going back and listening to that podcast. If you haven't seen it, go see it. Every two years or so, there's always some rumor that floats out there that someone's trying to make a a remake of Last Starfighter or a sequel to it, and it just never quite happens. And to be honest, I'm fine with that. If you really wanted to, the bones are there. You could do something with it, but but why? I don't know. There's no reason to. Okay, four more movies to go. Here we go. Number four. I guess we're not going to be leaving now, right? I'm sorry, Newt. You don't have to be sorry. It wasn't your fault. That's it, man. Game over, man. It's game over. What the f*** are we going to do now? What are we going to do? Maybe we could build a fire, sing a couple of songs, huh? Why don't we try that? We better get back, because it'll be dark soon, and they mostly come at night. Mostly. Yeah. Had to use that quote. We're back to aliens. We just talked about aliens. We got some stick from people for saying that the alien queen was a bad mom because she was trying to be a good monster mom. But we're people, so we judge it from a people perspective. Right. Aliens, again, it's the 1986 sci-fi action film written and directed by James Cameron. God, who is this guy? Do we get like a little product placement here? Do we get a little cut on the DVD sales this week or something? Yeah. Yeah, we get a, we get a quarter percent on every Avatar movie that comes out after this podcast. <sighs> Awesome. I will not be waiting for those checks to show up. So this is produced by Gail Ann Hurd, starring Sigourney Weaver, who you remember, like serious badass characters. It's the second installment of the Alien franchise and probably the one I'm the most familiar with. Sure. Uh, Weaver's character, Ellen Ripley, 
returns to the moon where her crew encountered a hostile alien creature. But this time she has some Marines with her instead of just some weird robot and a guy that gets his stomach eaten. Uh, <laughs> nominated for seven Academy Awards, including a Best Actress nom for Sigourney Weaver, which just never happens for science fiction. Sure. Uh, it won sound effects, editing, and visual effects. Yeah. It's a good movie. It is it is the best, I would think, of all the Alien movies. To be honest, I don't think I saw any beyond... Did I see any beyond the first two? I don't think I did. I think I saw the third one. And, you know, you've, we've, we talked about this. The first one, I almost... You know how there are movies that are... You know, it's ostensibly a science fiction movie. It takes place on a spaceship with people on it. And they're walking around, which makes it science fiction. But it's really more of a horror movie. Right. Which I don't do. Right. So... That's the other thing, too. If if the sci-fi movie that we were considering was actually more of a horror film than a sci-fi film, then we, it yeah. fell on the list. I put so. Outland out there for a little while, but it's really a Western in space. Yeah. So Which, you know, neither here nor there. So now we're down to the top three. And I guess most people who are familiar with the genre can probably guess what the top three is. But what order will they be in? I do not know. You're about to find out. Actually, I do know, but I'm not telling. Number three. Con bloodsucker. You're going to have to do your own dirty work now. Do you hear me? Do you? Kirk. Kirk, you're still alive, my old friend. Still old friend. You've managed to kill just about everyone else, but like a poor marksman, you keep missing the target. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. This might have been the first or second sci-fi movie I'd ever seen. I, I, I'm really? probably exaggerating. Well, I, I'm trying to think what I, I want. I did go and see The Black Hole, so I know I'd seen okay. that. And Star Wars, right. obviously. Star Wars and... and uh empire by 1982 yeah yeah you're right the whole star trek universe basically to me this is the one brightest star yeah the Old characters movies, in this are new so movies. great the story is great the characters are great are, are the sci-fi effects great no <laughs> not always but here's what's interesting so 1982 this is the sequel to star trek the motion picture but is it really? I mean, it, there's really nothing that happens in the motion picture that gets carried over to Star Trek Two. It's a whole new yeah. story. Yeah, they really do change everything out, including the uniforms. Right. It is actually, if you want to to make a stink about it, it is a sequel to a 1967 episode of Star Trek called Space Seed. Well, you should do that. It's a nice tieback, I yeah. think. It's it's brilliant. Now, what's interesting is that I didn't even see Space Seed when I saw, even though I was kind of vaguely familiar with the Star Trek shows. Really? I'd seen most of them. So, so you weren't like a Trek nerd? No, not not a huge. I was I was yeah. more of a computer nerd. But I love this show. Oh, I love this. Yeah, show. I, I so do. I was, I, I was I, familiar with the backstory when oh, this I was familiar with the backstory. So, so it's a sequel to that. Uh, Ricardo Montalban returns as Khan, the genetically engineered madman who's obsessed with getting revenge on Kirk after he left Khan stranded on a distant planet. From hell's heart he stabs at thee, to yes. the last he grapples with thee. Yes, it is everything you want from a science fiction movie and a Shakespeare play and a... Yeah, and Moby Dick and in Moby space Dick. with it's genetically engineered people want. and 
you know, you get to call Captain Kirk a white whale, which seems rude on the face, but actually is kind of accurate in some ways. It gives us the the internet phenomenon of Kirk yelling Khan over and over again. There's a lot to like. There's a few things that people have problems with. You could tell the studio was filming on a budget when it came to special effects. The models are a little... uh, Let's just say more more testers than uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. As for the acting, well, it is Star Trek. So William Shatner is going to be William Shatner. He's going to chew it up. Yeah. But for some reason, when he is on the screen opposite uh, Ricardo Montalban, it just works. They have a chemistry that just drips with the contempt that they have for each other. And the, their one-upmanship and they're just ways of like poking each other in the eye that yeah. is so ridiculously delicious that you, you can't, I don't care if you don't like sci-fi, you like Wrath of Khan. I think we've made our point there. I feel, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like I want to wrap. That's all we have for this week, folks. Whew. Okay, here we go. Okay, let's get going. Number two. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Tenhauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. Blade Runner. Brad and I have different thoughts about this movie. I, for the longest time, would have said it was my all-time favorite sci-fi movie of any era. Mm, Okay. I think a lot of it depends on what version you originally saw. Hmm. Okay. I saw the narrated version that was in the the theaters. The theatrical release? Okay. Yes. So I got to hear Harrison Ford kind of providing (laughs) a little bit. Explain everything. This is food. I'm going to eat it now. These sticks <laughs> yeah. are called chopsticks. It's noodles, so you just pick them up and put them in. Watch right. me chew now. It's not that. You've never even seen it, the narrated version, so what are you talking about? <gasps> uh, it's fun to make fun of it. It's a fantastic movie. It's number two on our list. But I think a lot of it depends on which version you saw. If you saw the unnarrated version, you might feel a little bit more adrift. Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I respect a director that allows me to figure this stuff out as we go. Like extensive voiceover to me is a is a failure of storytelling and the directors. You know, it's a failure I, of the director to tell the story. I don't think it's extensive. I think it comes along at the right moments just to kind of answer the question that's, that's what the hell is going on? Head. Yeah, like what the, what just happened? Like or yeah. I mean, so, to your point, I haven't seen it, so I can't really comment intelligently right. about that. But it won't stop me. Uh, I mean, I've <laughs> seen the I've seen this movie exactly two times, Steve. The original director's cut in the theater, uh, some art house in L.A. with friends. And then recently I saw the final cut with my son, which is the Ridley Scott. Yeah, and I, I saw that too. And But I see it differently because in the back of my head, I know 
what's happening because I've heard the the narration. So anyway, well, if you're a if student you of the decade, you probably know what's going yes. on. We don't have to explain the storyline to you. It was it set in the future? Yes. Does it have robots? Yes. Um, does it space have travel implied? Te- yeah. Does it have uh, unforeseen technology and all that kind of stuff? Yes. Is it dystopian? Yeah, it depends on your point of view. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, this feels very much like it's it's very hard boiled. It's very uh, like Raymond Chandler, L.A. detective feel to it. Yeah, it's noir. It has this noir feeling to it. Yes. Thank but, you. Thank you. It's yeah. sultry. Well, the, the the point being that if if you're still left on Earth, you're missing the best of what the galaxy has to offer at that point. Like everyone else has moved on to other worlds. Earth yeah. is just kind of like the backwater, you know, south side of Chicago or something. I don't know. That's Speaking probably- of backwater, watching this and it's raining the entire time. I'm like, this is an yeah. LA I know because <laughs> it rained more in that movie than I think it's rained in the last three years here. No doubt. Uh, a sequel, Blade Runner 2049, was released in October 2017. I've not seen it. I have no idea. I, I don't really want to, to be honest. I am curious about it. I just watched it on Netflix before it left Netflix at the end of April with my son, and it kind of piqued our curiosity about Blade Runner 2049, and I've I've had some people recommend it to me, so I may take a look at it. Yeah, we'll see. Okay, we're at the final spot in the top ten list. It's obvious what's coming up. What could it be? But let's have the fanfare anyway. Number one. Obi-Wan never told you what happened to your father. He told me enough. He told me you killed him. No. I am your father. No. No. That's not true. That's impossible. Search your feelings. You know it to be true. No! No! Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back. I don't have a hard time naming this the top movie. I watched it again the other night for the first time in probably, I don't know, 10 years. And I was riveted from beginning to end. It's fun to watch. It it really does deliver and it holds up, I think. You know it's good when you can, I could still, it's amazing how many lines you can quote from it. I just assume it's a Wookiee. I can arrange that. Right. You don't think of it as being the most quotable of the, of the Star Wars movies? And yet... And yet, we don't have time to discuss this in committee. I'm not in committee. <laughs> yeah. I got smacked in the head with the pillow like three times for doing the lines from every scene. So that shows you how how much it holds yeah. up. I, I was clapping uh, for them. Actually, Katie and I watched it last night, and I was clapping. when It's just like, why are you clapping? I'm like, because that's so good. There's two scenes. Like I said, we could do a whole podcast on this, but we're not going to. But there's two scenes I want to talk about real quick, and then and then we'll get to the seggies, which I know everyone's just waiting for, <laughs> since we over-teased them earlier. Just keep jumping 30 seconds, folks. So the first one is the carbon freezing scene, which to me is, I think, one of the more interesting ones. I think most people know that the whole I love you, I know, was not the way it was scripted. Oh. And some people will say it was ad-libbed. Based on what I've read, it was not ad-libbed. The script was supposed to read something like, Leia says, I love you. I couldn't tell you before, but it's true. And Han Solo is supposed to reply, just remember that because I'll be back. That seems seems wordy. It does seem wordy. So what I read is that 
It was a change that came about as Harrison Ford and director Irvin Kirshner were sitting in their trailer going over the scene line by line. And Harrison came up with the change during that exchange, just saying it's too wordy. Yeah. He should say something more also, simple. I shot first. Can I work that in? <laughs> yeah. And it was adopted to the scene. Now, what's some of the other bizarre trivia about the carbon freezing scene? The set of that made people physically ill because of all the steam that was used. Huh. And then the heat and rubber gaskets started to melt and people were gagging from the oh. fumes. Uh, Boba nice. Fett could barely walk because his helmet was so fogged up he couldn't see where he was going. <laughs> <laughs> Bounty hunter problems, am I right? <laughs> There's also a report that Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher were feuding with each other right before the filming of this scene because Carrie thought she was being intentionally excluded from all the rewrite conversations. Hmm, okay. And then, of course, there's a big continuity error. Han is frozen with his hands up front, even though as he's lowered into the chamber, we can see that his hands are clearly tied behind his back. He's out of view of the camera for just a moment. Maybe he's like, you know, David Copperfield down there. That's how it is generally explained by Harrison himself. He says... The thinking would be that he broke free a split second before the freezing, so he was frozen with his hands up front. I, whatever. Uh, it turns out that having him Is frozen... Is that the hill you want to die on? <laughs> yeah. It turns out that having Han Solo frozen in carbonite was actually done because they didn't know if he was going to return for the third movie. Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill were signed for a three-movie deal. Harrison Ford refused to sign for all three. Hmm. So they were thinking there was a good chance they might have to kill him off. Might just leave him in so the leave him go. in there. Yeah, leave him yeah. So he's not he's not dead. I like it. So anyway. He's just not feeling very well. He won't be appearing in this picture. <laughs> the the other thing I want to talk about real quick, the cave scene on Dagobah. And if you go on yes. the the internet, you can read scores of essays about what the meaning is of the cave scene in Dagobah. Um I Googled it myself as I was watching it because I was like, you know, I, I still don't know that I understand what this is all about. The nearest I can understand is that the use of a cave in literature lends itself to an examination of what lies beneath the surface of what is real and what is fantasy. Luke brings his weapons with him when entering the cave. Thus, the theory goes that he is introducing violence into the natural world, further reinforcing his fear, which reaches fruition when he beheads Darth Vader only to see his own face in the mask. The question is, what would have happened had he entered without his weapons? We have met the enemy and he is us. Something like that. I don't know. Pretty deep hmm, that's, for a Star that's Wars That's pretty movie. profound stuff for a, basically a space opera. Yeah. You know what else is really profound? The, the Seggies. Ah, the lovely refrain of listener mailbag. Hey, um, we got a nice mm. letter this week from Tor Hansen. So, Hansen, Brad Tor Hansen, why don't you, uh, Brad? Why don't you read the email? Here we go, Steve. I'm going to read this email now. You just try and stop me. Tor writes, "Hi, Stephen, Brad. A few weeks back, or several eons past, in COVID time, you put out a call for stories about besting bullies." I think I might have one that fits the bill. As an aside to the listener, now is the time to pop the popcorn because shit's about to get real. 
1982, prior to seventh grade year, my parents announced that they would be moving me from my current school, a quaint K-8 through rural schoolhouse, to a 750-student-strong, two-grade kid emporium in the Big Bad Burbs. To my shy, preteen bumpkin brain and plump sausage body, this seventh and eighth grade trial by ordeal felt like a headlong plunge into Pink Floyd's The Wall meat grinder. In fact, the transition agreed so well with my retiring personality that by month three of the school year, I had tallied zero friends and ate every lunch wedged behind a green electrical transformer box at the back of the school. One of the big reasons for this self-exile was that my locker was along the school's busiest open-air corridor and just two lockers down from, well, let's just call him Sam. Even in a schoolyard teeming with Iron Maiden and Aussie t-shirts, long hair, and Levi's 501s, where the right wardrobe, pantomimic toughness, and unrestrained four-letter locution seemed to fast-track kids to coolness, Sam stood out. This wasn't because he was cool, but rather due to his unremitting cruelty towards anyone who didn't inhabit the social tier he was aspirant to. Man, Tor, such words. Sam was a desperate hanger-on, and his nastiest exploits, which were designed to help him penetrate Ronard Park Junior High's Hesher-Dent Star Chamber, were forged on the doughy flesh of those of us huddled under the lowest rung of the school's social ladder. He punched us in the arm daily, slammed lockers on our hands, spit in our food, and always saved his most withering attacks for when we were within eyeshot of the school's prettiest girls. This sucked mightily. And I myself endured slash ran from it for a year and a half. Okay. Your basic junior high dystopia. Now we're moving into act two here. You ready? Let's do it. Okay. By the last quarter of my eighth grade year, I had found a few friends, endured a lot of Sam's brutality, and was more than ready to close the book on tweendom. During one sunny afternoon, while walking between PE and art class, I encountered Sam and one of his acolytes on their way to smoke behind the dugout. Without so much as a look of warning, Sam jumped up and planted one size 10 shoe flush on my breastbone. I reeled backwards, flinging my sweaty PE uniform to the four winds while trying to stay upright. The dim duo barely broke stride and erupted into some Herman Munster-sized guffaws. Hey, I shouted after them. They both turned, and I pointed right at Sam. You, I said. What? Sam replied. The shocking effeminess to which I stammered, let's go in response and raised one hand in a clumsy Bruce Lee beckon. You know what I'm talking about. Hand out the little come hither, the forefinger curl back. You know, you're doing it right now. I was watching a lot of Kung Fu movies at the time. My longtime tormentor's eyes peeled back, exposing the circumference of both irises. I was just joking, he stuttered. I suggest you stop or I'm going to kick your ass. Really bad, I returned, practically choking on my own over-adrenalized words. Sam dropped his head and mumbled something about just kidding before sulking away. For the remainder of that year, I made a routine practice of slamming my locker with the utmost gusto before parading past and issuing Sam a silent challenge to meet my glare. He never so much as raised his head at me. In hindsight, I'd heard that Sam had a pretty rough go at home in those years, and I'm sure he was just looking to create some sense of belonging, albeit through maladaptive means, which is a folly we all gave into some shape or form at that age. I'm also pretty sure that just prior to his well-placed foot strike, he heard that I had meddled at the NorCal Junior High Wrestling Championships. I've occasionally wondered if this minor escalation in his terror gambit was because he just wanted to see if his alpha tactics would still work on me. I'm convinced that Sam never wanted a fight, at least not one he thought he might lose. But then that's the way of the bully, isn't it? Thanks for all you do, Tor. Wow. 
That's a great story. Let's turn that into a movie. I'm covered in goosebumps. <laughs> I'm covered in goosebumps. I've been thinking about doing a podcast about the best bully movies of the 80s. So, mm. Bully for you. Yeah, we'll see. It's funny you had mentioned that. I actually reached out to Tor and said, you know, if this is a movie, you'd be telling this story as part of your toast to Sam that you would later become close friends and now you're the best man at his wedding. Oh, well, maybe. Maybe. Oh, man, that's exhausting. Like, my heart was pumping when uh, he issues the challenge and then Sam backs down. I know. You're just like, here comes the beat down. Oh, no. Oh, no. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Keep your head down, man. It is a great story. Hey, if you got letters for us, we love them. Send them to podcast at sit80s.com. What's happening, hot stuff? Ah, by the sound of the gong, it must be time for a mystery movie moment. We'll play a snippet of a movie from the 80s, and if you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for some swag, most likely a postal-friendly bottle opener. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to use the one you gave me. But uh, Yeah? To open bottles? or No, I don't, I don't really don't drink beer anymore, so it's... I just kind of like mm-hmm. twirl it around on my finger and go, hey, look, postal-friendly bottle opener. Uh, anyway, <laughs> cast your mind back a couple of shows, and this was the clip that was so mysterious. Oh, this is disgusting. It's all over. It's, it's, it's sticky, and we're going to need some kind of cleaning fluid to get it off. Yep, that's from Three Men and a Baby. And I think I picked that because maybe it was the episode with John Parr. I can't remember. I had John Parr on the brain, and he does the the main song for that movie. So that's I think that's what was going on in my head. So anyway, uh, some people got it right. Brad, read yeah. some winners. Winners this week include Jeremy and St. Pete, Alan Titus, Kevin Serving Wench, Rock the Good Ag, Carol Parrott, Hermit Jack, Mark in Bristol, UK, Lou Sweet Lou Grilly, Carlos M. Hernandez, Charles in Vegas, Darren in Ukaipa, Jeff and Charity in Richlands, Virginia, Mr. Whiskey, and Papa Smurf. You know who I miss these days? Whatever happened to Apology Accepted, Captain Nita? <laughs> That's a good question. That would be very appropriate for them to write in for this episode. Yeah, so we we hope to hear from you, uh, Captain Nida. In the meantime, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery clip. That's my book. Your book? Yeah. What do you mean, your book? I got this from the Repel Depot in San Lo. I wrote it, babyface. If you know it, email us at podcast at satds.com and tune in in a couple of weeks. You'll find out if you're a winner. <laughs> Hey, it's time to play Name That 80s Tune. We will play a snippet of a song from the 80s. A tune, if you will. Enter into the drawing that we'll have momentarily. It'll be a tune. Uh, And then, you know, the the magical wheel spins, you know. Things happen. Greatness is is recognized, and then we go about our day. So pay attention. Here's the clip from a couple shows ago. That's Nikita by Elton John. You will never know Anything about my home I never know how good it feels to hold you Nikita, I need you so Interesting choice, Captain. I don't know why I picked this. I'm sure at the time I had some... Something in mind. It was it was a crossword puzzle answer on the New York Times sometime this year, and so it was just kind of 
in my brain that oh way. Oh my gosh, that is the most erudite reason you possibly could have come up with. So no, I, I was trying to do the puzzle more often to kind of you know give my brain some much needed exercise. So that's that's the story. I'm going to stick to it. Uh, why don't you read some winners instead of criticizing my choices of music, Brad? I was not criticizing you. I was merely pointing out that you were very erudite. This week's winners include Joseph Perdue, Alejandro Sticks, Cardoso Solis from Tijuana, Mexico, Alan Titus, Kevin Pipewench, Tommy Doucette in Boston, Anastasia in Colorado, Dave Parrott, Dave in Oxford, Kyle Kerwin in Arkansas, Mike in Oz, Lou, Sweet Lou, Grilly, Dave in an undisclosed location, Bernie the Dutch Oven Lindemann from Sydney, Australia, and Jeff and Charity in Richlands, Virginia. Hey, you know someone else we haven't heard from in a while? Kelly from the Deli. Yeah, I think she owes me her address. Did she finally send it? I don't think I have it. Yeah, Kelly, if you're out there, send us your send us your address. I had some email problems for a while, so you might have sent it and it just didn't show up, so I, I apologize. But anyway, Kelly from the Deli, we are calling you out. But in the meantime, Brad's going to spin the wheel and we'll find a winner for this week. Yes, and that will add to the stack of over 10 that i have to send out i'll oh get on God. that okay I just, i'm just i need office supplies i'm gonna go into the office pick up some supplies it's gonna be great <laughs> here we go spin in the wheel now <laughs> there was some gusto i like that so okay so we need to hear from captain nita we need to hear from from kelly from the deli but for now the wheel is gonna land on charles in vegas you're this week's winner so send us your postal address and Are you sure be, that's not Charles in the Vegas? <laughs> he brings the Vegas to us. Boy, I already missed that sponsor. You know, I went to a lot of extra care in the last podcast to like to give them a proper fetting, you know, the proper yeah. ending to our final. And, you know, I had the Lawrence Welk theme song in there and everything. And like, not a single email or comment or anybody who just kind of said, ha ha, you know, thank you very much for that. Uh, I got a chuckle out of that. Maybe we're not funny anymore. Maybe Steve's just not funny anymore. Yeah, so. Or maybe our, our little, you know, Tweedledee noises that we're going into commercial just is like triggered Everybody response to fast forward. Fast forward. Yeah, that could be. That's fine. I'm telling you. We, you do you. We try to put some jokes in there. I mean, we try to make it a little funny. I mean, yeah, there's, we, pre- we, we try to put some mayo on the, on the BLT. I don't know why I just really want a BLT right now. Anyway, pay attention. Here's this week's mystery tune. If you know it, email us at podcast at SITs.com and tune in next week to find out if you're a winner. We'll be right back after this commercial break. Something's coming up the plumbing for Luigi's in a bind. Giant turtles out to get and creepy crabs are right behind. Fireflies, cheaper shites, they're all coming out the pipes. Mario, where are you? It's Atari Mario Brothers with Mario from Donkey Kong, his brother Luigi, and lots of crazy creatures. And it's twice the fun when two play at once, because you need all the help you can get. Mario, where are you? Mario Brothers, new from Atari. And we're back, and when Brad and I were coming up with this list and we finalized the order today, when we probably should have been doing real work. I shouldn't say that. I don't think our bosses listen to this, do they? Yeah, I, I certainly hope not. We said we probably should have some honorable mentions and some also-rans. Because I, I know there's some people out there who are going to be like, I can't believe that you didn't name my favorite movie, and so we'll give you a little shout here. Anyway, some honorable mentions. Brad, you want to start off? Yeah, let me give you, you know, I already kind of alluded to it earlier, but Tron is on the list. Sure. 
Enemy Mine was is one of my favorites, but I just had a hard time arguing yeah. arguing that onto the top ten. I I like Enemy Mine. I think Enemy Mine does something that is kind of sci-fi's forte is to take a social issue and abstract it enough from uh, you know society, if you will, that you could examine it a little bit differently. I feel like the original Star Trek did that a lot. You know, the sure. I forget the this the episode where oh, can't you I'm black on the left side, he's black on the right side, you know. So oh, yeah. I mean that's a yeah, little yeah. that's a little heavy fisted there, but I feel like Enemy sure. Mind does a good job with that. And it's a lot of fun to watch. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh Predator could have been on a, on the list. Obviously sure. there, there, that's a worthy franchise. Alien Nation, I think, is certainly one of my favorites. I'd probably bump E. T. off and put Alien Nation on there. It was so good that it became a mm-hmm. T V show, which was actually better than the original movie to begin with. Yeah, they live, which you know we had to talk about on this podcast, if only so that we could say I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum, and I'm fresh out of bubble gum. I'm not kidding. I'm actually wearing a They Live T-shirt right now. I have three They Live T-shirts. The one I'm wearing right now it has a to-do list on it, and it says um, number one, chew bubble gum, and it has a line crossed through it, and the number two says kick ass. Oh, brilliant! Uh, let's see some other also rands. Now these are ones that we didn't really consider making the list, and. Eh, might be wrong on a couple. Flash Gordon, uh, too campy. Outland, yeah, it's just it's Western in the space. Return of the Jedi. Uh, take the Ewoks uh, out. It should have been a lot better. <laughs> it's an old code. Uh, I, I put Dune in there, of course. The Running Man, which honestly probably should have got a little more, uh, a little more consideration. Inner Space. Yeah, uh, Millennium with Chris Christopherson and Cheryl Ladd. It's it's a great idea for a movie that's so poorly executed that it's barely watchable. But if it were on TV right now, I'd still watch it. <laughs> Crawl uh, is on the list. Too fantasy. Too fantasy. Too fantasy. Yeah. This next one I'm torn about. You're not that torn about. The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the Eighth Dimension. I people love this movie. I'm just not one of them. Uh, yeah, I mean it's a sci-fi movie, but it almost—it feels like they set out to make a, a cult classic, and I think they yeah. succeeded. Uh, I like this movie, but uh, yeah, I'm not sure I could find a place for it on this list. It belongs right. in the cult classics. What about Dreamscape? Oh, hmm, not enough aliens. I had too many snakes. <laughs> it is a good movie. <laughs> too many snakes. Cocoon. Why does it always have to be snakes. Cocoon. Too many. Lots of aliens, but too many old people. <laughs> too, too many swimming pools. Uh, yeah. Masters of the Universe. It's a comic book movie come to life, and that kind of yeah. We steered away from the superhero stuff. And yeah. The, Another one that I thought is worth mentioning: Making Mister Right. Definitely has some elements of of sci fi, but just probably not strong enough, and certainly not one of those movies that people get name check when they think about eighties sci fi. Yeah. Hey, that's all we got for you this week. If we missed a movie that you think deserves to be in our top 10 list of sci-fi movies of the 80s, please email us and let us know. In the meantime, Brad and I and so many fans of the original Star Wars trilogy remain here, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is a member of the CLNS Media Network. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or the CLNS Media mobile app.
Sometimes just leave it alone, like ranch dressing. Just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Take that out. That's stupid.